Welcome to The Dispatch from Newberry Consulting Services, where we believe in building community through better management, better teams, and better business. I'm your host, Trevor Newberry, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Dispatch, everyone. It has been a long time, and I want to personally apologize for the absence. I'm super fortunate that my business has been booming, but that means I've been a little too busy to create content. Well, I'm back and I'm excited to bring you guys a series of interviews that I've conducted slowly but surely and edited over the past few months. You'll hear from directors of accelerator programs, entrepreneurs, project management experts, and more. So I have a question for you today. Have you ever thought that you had a great business idea, but when push came to shove, had no idea how to work it out and bring the idea to life? Well, if that sounds like you, then you're in luck because today's guest is here with a boatload of information to help you navigate the tricky waters of starting companies and launching new products and services. Today, I'm talking with a good friend of mine and an incredibly talented and kind human being, Dave Mason. Dave is the Director of Product Development at Pack Health, a startup here in Birmingham, Alabama that helps people with chronic conditions lead happier, healthier lives. Dave has extensive experience studying and implementing lean startup and agile methodologies to bring new software products to market, so I asked him to come on and give us the lowdown on what these methodologies are and how we can take advantage of them to help bring our own products, services, and even entirely new companies to market. This is a chewy episode, so buckle up, grab a pen, and some paper for notes, and enjoy. All right, Dave, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, uh, So as always, let's start off with just a little bit about yourself, your uh, professional, personal background. Um, Yeah, just tell us more about yourself. Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Um, My name's Dave. I'm from the UK originally. Uh, moved to Birmingham about five years ago. And um, yeah, I started my career at uh, Deloitte, uh, the management consultancy company in London. Uh, moved uh, into social entrepreneurship for a little bit, uh, did um, some work in social impact investing and consulting. Uh, and then when I moved over to Birmingham, I started working for a startup called Pack Health. Uh, we are in the uh, healthcare space. Uh, we have about 80 employees right now, um, and we basically help people with a chronic condition uh, live happier and healthier lives. So Very cool. Yeah, PAC is a, uh, is a really neat company. How did you get connected with PAC? Uh, so actually through uh, my, my wife's original uh, work in Birmingham, she uh, joined Jones Valley Teaching Farm, and the executive director there at the time uh, knew one of the founders of PAC and uh, connected me, in fact, even before... Uh, I'd even moved to Birmingham, so uh, it was uh, it was pretty pretty lucky. I really managed to land on my feet in a, a new country, new state, and everything. So uh, yeah, it worked out pretty good. Awesome, awesome. So <clears throat> the reason you're here today, um, you and I, uh, for the listeners, Dave and his wife, and and my wife and I, we're all good friends, and we've had some extensive conversations, some really uh, interesting conversations around the startup world, around the idea of uh, the lean startup methodology. Uh, Dave is the reason that I got into studying the lean startup methodology. And it's something uh, that I draw from regularly when I'm working with my clients and my consulting practice. So I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about that because right now uh, startups are hot. Like that's the thing that people are talking about. So um, if you don't mind, uh, kick us off with just a little about the lean startup. Like what what is it? If you can give us kind of a high level overview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, kind of at its at its uh, highest level, uh, the lean startup is a is a reaction against this idea that uh, there's this kind of mythical founder that um, has some kind of special powers and that kind of creates this startup and, and brings it into being and um, and the success is really all down to that individual and and so what um, lean startup basically says is um, it, it's just like any other business there are uh, practices that you can uh, employ to to be more certain of a good result. Now, obviously, uh, startups are inherently risky. They're inherently uncertain. And that's sort of the basis of, of the methodology. Uh, but, you know, if you follow lean st- startup practices, then you're going to be have a more consistent result than if you just relied on that kind of whiz-bang of a, of a startup founder. Um, 
Awesome. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean that, that brings up a, a really good question. You know, it's a counter to this, uh, sort of mythical founder sort of idea. Um, but how does this differ from your more traditional story? I don't know if there really is a traditional startup method, but you know, Eric Ries, the, the guy that wrote the, the original book, um, really did sort of revolutionize the process of starting and iterating companies to their, you know, not final form, but to a more profitable, sustainable form. So, you know, how does that contrast to earlier phases? Yeah. There? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, a, a really kind of rudimentary early way of thinking about a startup is it's simply a very small company. And so, uh, you know, the way that you would maybe traditionally, um, you know, start a startup is you would have an idea for a product, uh, you'd spend months or years building that product, and then you would take it to market and maybe it's really successful, maybe it's not, um, it, you don't really know until you you know you go out the gate and and try it right and so uh, the key difference with the lean startup is is to say rather than focusing on the traditional business metrics you know like um, uh, uh, EBITDA and you know revenue and all these things uh, let's focus on the fact that it, uh, uh, if you are a startup you are operating in a, in conditions of high uncertainty as to as as to whether you are going to succeed and so your primary metric should be around uh, learning and figuring out what is the business model that means i am succeeding and so that that means for example uh getting out of the building so going and like talking to customers early so you can get a good signal on whether they are going to buy what you're trying to sell. It also means getting a product out as quickly as possible so you can start getting feedback on that product uh, and basically minimize the amount of risk you're taking on by investing a ton of uh, money and time and effort up front without any feedback back to, to see if you're going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. So that... Uh <clears throat> that early product was is what's called the MVP, right? The yeah. the minimum viable product. Um, <clears throat> so you wrote a pretty detailed article on the topic. Um, so I was wondering if you could just uh, give us like a high level overview of the idea. And, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on uh, MVPs because that article, that LinkedIn article was, uh, was actually, was it on Medium? It was. Okay. So it was a really good article. I really enjoyed reading it. And I think our listeners would uh, benefit from hearing more about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the minimum viable product it, as a concept is, is essentially this idea that um, the, the first thing you should launch in terms of your product is whatever the smallest kind of coherent unit is that gets you some, uh, some element of learning about your business model and your product. So what is the smallest unit of value that you can provide to your customer um, that they would be willing to to invest in themselves, whether that's in terms of money or time or, or what have you. Um, and so um, there's, a, there's a couple of nuances to this. Um, it doesn't mean it's not a MCP, like minimum crappy product. Like it has to be something that people are going to you know use and f get value from. Um, but the idea is that you're not trying to create a fully fledged product straight out of the gate. You're trying to distill it down to its fundamental essence and the, the real thing, the real like solution to the problem that you're trying to solve. Sure. Okay, cool. So why then should we care about companies, you know, as consumers using this methodology? Um, how does this translate into, uh, well, how does it translate to the public, to the consumer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, um, you know, so one of one of my favorite sites is Product Hunt, for example. Okay. This uh, th this is a site where people, when they find like new startups, new ideas, they can kind of shout about them, and um, you know you can kind of upvote you know things that you like. And I think one of the great things about the lean startup methodology, and also kind of more generally the fact that we're in a world now where a lot of products are software, uh, the cost of entry has dramatically decreased, right? So that means there's a lot more opportunity for people to throw something out there and see whether uh, you know people would like it. And so um, 
the more that companies adopt an MVP approach, uh, one, uh, they can try things with lower risk, which hopefully means there's more people trying things. Uh, and two, um, because the MVP inherently is something that interacts with customers, it means they're going to get in front of those customers earlier and hopefully be more tuned into the customer's actual needs and wants rather than building what yeah. they think their customer need, needs and wants. So I think I think it really is like a consumer-focused model and one that um, yeah should therefore be good for the consumer as yeah. well. We're all buying stuff. Exactly. It might as well be built with our, uh, our needs in mind, right? That's right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so this is one other uh, interesting thing to me about the Lean Startup Method is that uh, it... It, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was written really geared towards software right. development, right? But it has ballooned. It's it's become uh, an important methodology for manufacturing products of all kinds. Um, <clears throat> what do you see? Is the how does that transition gone? Do, do have you seen that the lean startup has trans, translated particularly well, or are there some places where it doesn't really hold up quite as well uh, outside of the software realm? Yeah, I, I think um, uh, so. I, I th- that's a good question. I, I think the um, the methodology itself is. I think pretty solid and pretty robust. So I think you can apply it in lots of different areas. I think most of the case studies that you'll see are software focused. And so a lot of the, basically if you want a playbook, the playbook is in software. Uh, you have to do a little bit more work if you're outside of that software realm. And and Pack Health, as an example, is is a we're a little bit of a hybrid model. We definitely have a, a strong technology component, uh, but at the same time, we have our health advisors, our coaches that are working with our members, and so we have a large you know workforce that are working with individuals. And so we when we think about our product, it's both our technology and the pe- the people that are delivering our service and then also we have a third pillar which is about data but you know it's it's a package deal and so a lot of our early mvps for example were actually really focused around the the human so uh you know there's this idea of the concierge mvp which is where you give somebody the vip treatment you essentially do what what you want your kind of fully scaled product to do but you just do it manually and you give them you know five star service essentially and that's essentially what our early our early product was was like the health advice is just working with people yeah that's really cool that's really smart um how has that gone for pack What's your experience been there? Yeah, it's it's been great. Uh, I think um, it you know it obviously um, it ha- has challenges um, because then the question is, well, can you scale this thing if you have humans as an inherent part of your process? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the big strength that we have versus some of our competitors who maybe started with an app or like you know were technology first is that we really understand the people that are on our program very well. And if you think about somebody with a chronic diagnosis, they typically have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. They can be really overwhelmed with that diagnosis. They may not know what sources of information to trust. Uh, They may have like socioeconomic issues alongside their health issues all sorts of stuff and we've gotten a good insight into that so uh you know if, uh, for me as like a, a product manager i haven't had to really go out and find users to interview for example uh because we've got a workforce that are talking to them uh day after day and so i already know where they are and i can just go talk to them and so there are some real strengths there as well that's pretty brilliant and really at the uh at the end of the day, like really kind of what we're talking about is uh, human centered design, right? Like I I think that's from a consumer standpoint, that's really why people should care about this. Like we discussed earlier is that companies that, uh, that use the lean startup approach, they are designing inherently as a part, it's baked into the systems, baked into the methodology. They're designing products that, uh, are intended to be used by, um, they're intended for and intended to be used by the consumer, uh, but also built in a way that understands those particular use cases. So um, what, in, in terms of identifying, you know, it's really interesting, uh, the entire process is really interesting, but identifying 
problems, I kind of want to walk through like the steps here, like identifying a problem. Um, it feels kind of like you're grasping, you know, uh, grasping at, at air for looking for the problem. So what does that process look like? So I, at this point in, in the podcast interview, I want to really talk about like for people that are listening, this all sounds well and good. Go out and buy the book, Lean Startup, Eric Reese. It's a great book. But um, if you don't want to do that, if you don't like reading books, like where to start if you've got an idea or even if you don't have an idea and you want to start a company, you just have the entrepreneurial spirit. Like where uh, where do we start looking for problems? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, well, I, th- I think my first thing I'd say is uh, the book's pretty short. So, you know, yeah. feel, free, free, feel free to go, uh, you know, uh, read the book. But um I think in terms of, you know, where to find problems, uh, I think the traditional advice would be um, start with problems that you experience, right? You know, if you if you feel that pain, you're going to be more motivated to solve that problem. Uh, so that's definitely one thing. Um, I think the other thing is that often people start with an idea um, and, and, and then kind of like back into... validating that that problem exists that's technically not really the way around it should be but i think that's the way it often happens and then really um what you what you have to uh, figure out is what is your vision which is the the sort of the underpinning the the essence of that idea that if that was proven to be false um the whole thing, like, why are you even bothering, right? There's there's the vision, and then there's everything else. And everything else is the stuff where um, you're really kind of validating um, that you have an idea that, that'll work and a problem that's worth solving. And so um, in that regard, really then what you're looking for is your biggest assumptions, and those are the things that you would test with the Lean Startup methodology. Um, in terms of finding finding and validating that problem, typically that's done uh, with qualitative research. So that's user interviews and getting good at basically finding an individual that you think has that problem and then asking questions of them in the right way to validate that they have that problem. Because uh, in interviewing, you often have this idea of uh, people want to please you. Yeah. And so if you say... You know, something like, yeah, I've noticed that a lot of people have this issue. Like, that's something you experience too, right? You know, you're leading the person to say, yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, but but maybe they don't. So you, you, there's a lot of art to kind of interviewing in the right way and asking neutral questions and making sure that you're not leading people. And But then when somebody tells you something... Uh, and you kind of have a sixth sense for like, oh yeah, there's something more here, kind of probing down to find like the root problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. Uh, another technique is once they once they kind of say, oh, I have this problem, um, asking like, how are you solving it now? Because if they say, oh, yeah, I have this problem, it's like really painful, and you say, well, how are you solving it now? And they're like, well, I just I just kind of accept it then is it really a big problem? It, people's really big problems, they will find ways to solve it. it they may not like the solution they've come up with, but they will find a way uh, to to fix that problem. So another good signal is, are people trying to solve this thing themselves, you know, by jerry-rigging something so it's together? So pr- pr- even if it's a problem, it may not be a problem that's big enough to warrant... A, prob- a solution, yeah. right? A problem worth solving, exactly. And and what that ultimately translates to is, you know, if you have a lot, if you're trying to solve a, a small problem, people ain't going to pay you to fix it, yeah. right? So that's you know that's the big uh, the big issue. And and there's definitely a school of thought in lean startup world that says you should be charging for your product on day one for exactly that reason. Um, there's not, some not just for the money, that. but to yeah. validate that someone will actually pay you. Exactly. And and there are definite um, uh, different schools of thought on that. Uh, but that, that certainly is something that I think is worth considering. And then if you're doing something like a concierge MVP, then, you know, it's, you know, you're giving them a lot for their money. Um, and then your, your question is like, if, can you make it scalable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When do you have an example of a time when uh, 
applying the lean startup method has blown an idea up where you've you've started with a uh, started with an idea started with an assumption and gotten into the process and gone this is this was not a good idea we should not be doing this <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, i would say um m- most of our ideas ultimately um ultimately are failures in that sense M- much like um most startups fail i think most feature ideas in established startup and established companies fail too um gamification has been one so um you know on our program uh, there's a, a a large portion of retention that is really important making sure people stay engaged with our program and people um have intrinsic and extrinsic motivators so an intrinsic motivator would be like yeah, I want to feel healthier, right? Yeah. An extrinsic motivator is like, oh, I'm being paid to be on this program. So we have people um, who are incentivized by their employer to be on our program. Um, and that that's one thing. Um, uh, one way we've tried to kind of generate extrinsic motivation is by gamification techniques. So like basically giving like you points or like little badges and stuff as you go through our program. And um, so we ran an, an A/B test where we we uh, pe- when people view content and stuff, we give them a little kind of badge at the end, being like, you know, good job, keep up the good work and yeah. stuff. And we gave that to half of the members who are coming in on a given week, and uh, and half uh, just got the usual treatment. And we basically didn't see any effect. Um, so uh, I, I think there's a couple of things to to uh, to note there. So one is um, if we had just implemented that feature, it would have been, you know, a waste. It would just be another screen that people would be viewing with no benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, you know, there's clearly lots of cases where gamification in software products does work. So it may have just been that our implementation of it was wrong, you know. And I think game, one of the reasons we decided to do ex- experiments on gamification is there's lots of different styles and they can harm as well as help. So um, yeah. so it's it's a it's it's a little bit of a um, you know, a dark art. And so we were trying to figure out what's our take on on that um, concept, okay. and so we will probably try other variations of that uh, in the future. But that MVP failed. Yeah. You know, so, and that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> no, totally. And that's actually, I'm glad you said that because that was the next question. Um, you know, working with my clients, uh, a lot of my clients have never done anything like this before. A lot of my clients are uh, f- first, maybe second time business owners. Yeah. Uh, they're just getting into this, and when you pitch them the idea that things aren't necessarily going to go super well out of the gate. It's really hard to stomach. There's a, there's a big mindset component to this uh, because when you have a, a, like in my case, when you have a client that thinks they have a great idea, you know, um, and you build an MVP and you explain this is an MVP, uh, but then you get it into the market and it just doesn't take like you think it's going to take or like they want it to take. And that mindset uh, component of that so important in order to continue to validate your learning and to iterate. Um, how have you guys at PAC or, or just yourself and, and personally, uh, how have you gotten through those failures uh, and how do you frame those failures in a way that uh, that is helpful, right? That it's good, that it's, it's something that you are looking for to help you get better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, my background is, uh, is in analytics. So I'm a, I'm a data guy and there's definitely a data component to, uh, the lean startup because, um, you know, how, how do you know if, if something's a success or failure, if you can't measure it. Right. And so, um, that I think is really where the key is. And so, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time working on our, on our data culture at Pack Health and, you know, we're, you know, we're an established, um, company at this point, an established startup. And so, you know, we, uh, we're a little bit f- further on than like a you know really really early stage startup, but the general idea there is that um, you know anyone can have an idea. You don't we don't like uh, ascribe to the highest paid person's opinion uh, methodology. Anyone can have an idea, but then we're going to test that idea, and we're going to make sure that um, 
it's only the good ideas that get to the top, right? And so um, then, then what it comes uh, uh, comes to is like everyone buys into that process, uh, and um, if if your idea is successful, successful, that's great. If it fails, that's not a failure of you on you. Mm-hmm. You had an idea, and it was good enough for us to test, so that that's great as well, yeah. right? And um, and so. I think everyone buying into that mindset and not being precious about their ideas, uh, but being precious about the success, the long-term success of the company, mm-hmm. um, and making sure that process works really well, I, I think is is the most important thing. Everyone basically being concerned with the end outcome and not really being, you know, the person who was right. Sure, you know? sure. And how do you? Uh, that brought up another great question. Is uh, this idea of making sure that the best ideas get to the top. Yeah. I mean, how do you guys do that? Is it just good old fashioned hashing it out in a, in a conference room or do you guys have a system for, for validating just the ideas? Not even when I say validate, I don't mean taking it into the field as an MVP, but just ev- evaluating the ideas. Yeah. 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 So, uh, this is where I would say, um, data comes in many shapes and forms. So, uh, you know, when, when I talk about data, typically people would think about numbers, right? And there's definitely uh, a place for that. You know, we we are constantly kind of looking at the metrics that are coming out of our system. And if we see problems, that's often a a good source of ideas. Um, Equally, if somebody has an idea, sometimes we can validate that that is a good idea in or at least like worthy of exploration in the data too. But then on the other side, again, you have the qualitative data and uh, interviews and all that sort of stuff. So um, all of that can feed into our validation process. And um, and then we've got signals from the market. So uh, with PAX um, product, we have... Uh, institutional like enterprise clients who pay for the service and then users who use the service the people with the chronic condition uh, they're typically not paying so we're a little weird in that regard and so we have uh, signals from our sales team like what are our customers wanting we have signals from our users what are they interacting with and what are they asking for Uh, and then we have um signals from our accounts team and what are like clients that we're currently working with what are they seeing like where are the friction points in uh how they're working with us and that sort of thing so we kind of package that all up together and then uh, we basically rank things um on a on a couple of different dimensions so one one angle is risk uh, so there's a there's kind of four broad categories of risk. One is value risk. Um, you know, are people going to find this valuable? Are they going to use it? Uh, you've got usability risk. Is somebody going to know how to use this thing? Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, feasibility risk, which is like, can we build this thing? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the business viability risk, which is like, are there financial, legal, regulatory constraints and that sort of thing? So that's one way of kind of evaluating um, whether an idea is worth pursuing. Like if, you know, let's healthcare is a really regulated industry, for example. So yeah. if somebody comes up with an idea and, um, and then we're, like somebody else is like, well, that would be a kickback that's illegal we would be you know defrauding the government that's obviously a non-starter so there's like some stuff like that uh yeah exactly um but um then then what often happens is uh you you start out with this big kind of nebulous idea and you take it through this process of refinement to get it down to something that's small enough to test right getting down to that MVP. And if we can't find a way to that MVP, it probably means that that idea is not solid enough for us to spend time on. Um, and so one um, one method that we use is, fr- is from the Agile methodology. It's kind of uh, a kind of cousin to Lean Startup and is uh, a way uh, in software development to prioritize your work. And so you every unit that or, or um, thing that you're going to be working on so that uh, in agile it's called a story uh, you you ascribe points to points of effort and 
uh, one way of doing that is using the Fibonacci sequence, right? And so the cool thing about the Fibonacci sequence is as you get higher up the sequence, the gap between each number gets larger. And so what that essentially does is that puts a premium on big ideas. Like if you have a big idea, it's gonna cost you a lot of points. If yeah. you can narrow it down to a smaller idea, it's gonna be a small number of points. And that makes it kind of more attractive for us to work on because we're doing some kind of like value versus effort yeah. uh, judgment. So, so there's also that kind of lens on it as well. Um, but it's definitely like, you know, it's, it's definitely a, um, you know, something that we have to um, consider a whole bunch of different inputs and there's not a neat formula. It's just something that you, you have to make sure that you are um, going after um, well-validated ideas, making sure you're good at that validation process. Yeah. Um, and then, again, like sticking to your principles and making sure that you're not just fast-tracking something because it seems like a really great idea in the moment. Sure. Uh, you're, you're kind of trusting your process. Yeah. So uh, ideas, mm -hmm. where do these come from? Obviously, like they're going to come from your customer interactions or your client interactions, right? Uh, but internally, um, do you guys have a process for collecting ideas, for collecting new ideas for new products um do you have a team on that how much time do you guys spend on that yeah yeah so um another great question uh a, a whole bunch of different um places so uh you know one we're, we're at a size where you know anyone can come to me or um you know my colleagues with an idea and you know we're small enough that people generally know each other so we have that luxury um and, and a lot of times, because like let's say our health advisors, they're really close to our members, they'll come up come up with good ideas and like they'll kind of like yeah. send them over to us. Um, so, so there's the, those usual channels that I talked about before, like our sales team, yeah. our, our uh, accounts team, and so on. Um, but we do have a couple of tools in our sort of toolbox, so to speak, that we use to generate ideas as well. Uh, one that I really like is the design sprint. And so this was uh, developed by uh, Google Ventures. Uh, there's actually a book, another book on it called Sprint. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it's essentially a week-long process. Uh, and again, a little bit like the Lean Startup, they've distilled that process into uh, you know, a series of steps that they've done hundreds of times and um, have kind of shown to be like a very efficient way to getting to some outcome uh down to and you know you you don't have to buy into all of this but they they give you advice on like what the best kind of you know pens to use on like flip chart paper and and you know you should have snacks and you know and all, all this sort of stuff but but generally um like what a design sprint does is it says okay here's a big problem that we have let's you know step one get some inputs as to you know the nature of the problem so get people to come in give kind of short um, interviews uh, on on the problem space then let's kind of map it map it out right and then um, let's go through a series of pro uh, like quick exercises to generate ideas so there's this um, uh, this exercise called crazy eights where you basically you know split a piece of paper into eight squares you can kind of fold it and then you just try and come up with a, you know eight ideas uh, in as many minutes and you know just kind of really quickly kind of like riffing on different things yeah. and then you kind of come together and you kind of refine that idea those ideas down to like maybe one more fully formed idea and then you put those up on the wall and everyone kind of votes on the ideas they like most and then you take the ideas that scored highest and you uh, create a more fully formed kind of storyboard and then finally you create a prototype which essentially is an mvp yeah. um of of that idea and so that might be um a prototype in terms of um a, like a sketch demo or like a you know a powerpoint presentation that you can kind of click on different things yeah. to kind of like go through different screens or, or, or whatever it is um and then you get some users and you bring them in and you do a customer interview with them where they actually interact with that demo so it takes a lot of those lean startup ideas and it 
and it distills it down. It basically time boxes it to one week and you're doing each of those steps is one day in that week. And so by the end, you know that you'll have tested something and that it's terrifying the first time you do it because you're, you know, one, you've said to people, right, this is, this is going to be valuable enough that you're going to spend an entire week, you know, nine to five doing just this thing. And, um, and so you have to step out in faith that at the end you will have learnt enough to justify a week's worth of time for like say five team members that's or whatever. But it, it really does work and uh, that's one of the reasons why you start with a big problem because it's like one of the, it's one of those problems where like um, it's just going to fester uh, otherwise because you don't have time to really dedicate to finding a good solution to it. Um, you know, and an incrementalism is not going to help you either. Yeah. Um, and so it's a good way of kind of getting unstuck on some of those big problems. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, that is, that's a lot of really good information actually. Yeah. You know, a lot of the, you've spent a lot of time actually in the trenches doing this mm-hmm. work. I've, I'm gathering time in the trenches doing this work, but it's, uh, always a good conversation, always a lot of good information. Um, I wanted to bring it back to sort of, we've been following some rabbit trails a little bit and bring it back to before I move on to the next, uh, subject into like, if, uh, you were talking to someone who said, uh, I think I have an idea. I'm thinking about starting uh, a company with this idea. Um, if you could distill it down to five steps, what would you tell them to do first? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> totally uh, on the spot. You were not prepared for this question. No, no, that's, that's, uh, yeah. Challenge accepted. Okay. So I think first, first step is get out of the building. So go talk to people, talk to the people you think would buy this thing and, um, and try and validate that um, that idea that you have. Uh, I think the other step would be uh, make sure that that idea is based on a problem worth solving uh, and not is it, not just a, this would be really cool if this thing existed, right? Uh, so kind of validate that there is a problem. Um, I think the next thing is write down your assumptions. So what are all of the things uh, that have to be true for this to be worthwhile and so like the classic example of this is uh the ipod right so um when Mm. apple created the ipod they did not need to uh figure out will would somebody uh use a um uh you know a music device in their pocket because the walkman already existed um but there were plenty of things that were revolutionary about the ipod so there were a lot of assumptions they were making that they did need to test um, uh, so that that's that's probably the next one. I think um, the, the then you're getting into uh, MVP territory and um, making sure that you are focusing on learning first and trying to um, validate those assumptions that you've written down. And um, uh, and then the fifth uh, would probably be. Uh, making sure you're setting yourself up to measure. So making sure that you're figuring out a way that you can generate data to uh, really quantify that learning. So again, that might be with interviews in the early days, but then as you start to build things, uh, what are the metrics that you're going to track? Is it, you know, like time in your app or is it like which features are going to be used and like basically making sure so there's this concept in lean startup of actionable versus vanity metrics vanity metrics are things that can only ever get better so things like a total user count uh actionable metrics are things that can get better or they can get worse and that gives you a signal about how you're doing so that might be like uh, enrollments per week, right? You know, so if you get, if you have 10, 10 enrollments one week, and then you have 12 enrollments the next week, and then you have 15 enrollments, then you'll get it, you're on an upward trajectory there, which is good. Uh, your total numbers, um, if, if you were going from like, if from 10 to 12 to 15, in terms of your totals, 
then actually you had like a bump at the start and then a little trickle and that's maybe not good yeah, so okay. uh, making sure you're tracking the right things is probably like the final thing and then i think at that point you're off to the races and you're you can start iterating on your product seeing how that changes the metrics and kind of keep keep iterating and keep moving forward test 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 that's it yeah um so I wanted to ask you just like personally, now we're going to kind of get into some personal stuff. Um, life in a startup. Um, yeah. I'm experiencing this myself. It's very meta. I'm experiencing this and also my clients are experiencing it. So we're kind of all like growing together with this. Um, but, you know, what what is uh, the most surprising or even difficult part of being in a startup? Because you've been with PAC since you know, the proverbial garage days, right? Like since the very, very beginning of it. And now you guys have, you know, you've bought a new building, you got a fancy new office space. It's, you're, you're very official now. You've, yeah. you've all, you've all grown up, right? Yeah. Um, but that startup life, as they say, uh, you know, what, what is that experience like? So someone that's listening to this, uh, that again, thinks like, I've got an idea. I want to start a company. Mm-hmm. What can they expect? Yeah. I mean, I think a, a lot of ambiguity, right? Um, so, so you know, I'm I'm not a founder myself. I joined Pack in its early days, but I I I wasn't the one that came up with the idea. So that's there's definitely a caveat I should I should put out there. But um, uh, you know, you you're not going to have uh, a process and a policy for for things and. Really basic things that if you've worked for any company ever, you're like, wait, we don't have a, like a vacation policy or like you know how how do how do I work in this you know environment? So so there's there's a lot of stuff like that. Obviously there's there's a lot of risk, right? You know you have to be comfortable with the idea that um, you know the company could cease to exist um, sure. next month if we don't you know if we don't bring in this client or whatever. Um, so, you know, you definitely have to be comfortable with that. Um, I think, um, kind of not being precious about things cause things are going to change. Um, you know, so, uh, that might be pre- being precious about an idea or about how things have been or about your responsibility, because, you know, as you grow, your role is going to narrow as you get more and more specialized and you bring on people with specific expertise and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, there's a whole host of things and then pretty much all of those things have positives as well, right? So, you know, with a lack of formal structure and so on, you get to figure out what kind of company you want to be and what you want to work in. And, uh, you know, with the uh, the kind of constant of change, you get to have a big impact on things. Mm-hmm. And um, with the risk, there's a potential for huge upside. So, you know, if you if you guys make it a success, you know, it's your company. So, you know, yeah. you can make a ton of money and change the world and all that. Sort of. So there's all, I, I think a lot of it is like, there's always a duality to everything in a yeah. startup, you know, and maybe that's true of companies in general, but I think it's like, everything is just kind of bigger and crazier, you yeah. know, at the end of the day. Sure. Sure. Um, you <clears throat> touched on a, a point that I, uh, I have to do a lot of coaching on. I'm interested to hear your take on it, or, or maybe you've already elaborated as, as much as you can on it, but um, the idea of being precious about ideas, right? Um, and I have had clients at this point in, in my journey doing this work where you've had to, or I've had to look at someone and say, that's not a great idea, or that it's a mostly good idea. What if we did this? Um, and I find that there's, for lack of a better word, a lot of hubris that comes into play, um, where people are very resistant to, uh, that change. And what I try to, what I've always tried to coach or to explain is to say, you know, that hubris only matters to you in terms of, or it only matters in terms of your perception of it. Right. The minute that you decide to start a company and issue a product or a service to the world at large, it no longer, it's no longer valid, right? Like it, it, it becomes an issue of the client or the customer who is going to be receiving and interacting and hopefully benefiting from that product or service. Um, really easy for me to say that clinically, right? right. To say like your, your pride uh, that is hurt by either this not being a good idea or only being a partially good idea 
it really isn't that important. But I mean, have you seen that in your career? I mean, especially like at Deloitte, as you were probably working with a number of different companies in fairly rapid succession. Um, you know, am I tracking? You know, is that something that you've seen or experienced or had to deal with? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, that's that's really common um i think it's sort of just human nature right like uh we we want to feel like we're uh doing a good job that we you know that we're smart that we have good ideas like all of those things that's that's an ego boost right so um yeah i mean i think um there's a couple of things i would i would say to that in terms of like advice i would give or like uh, things that i've felt have helped um when i've come up against that that sort of thing i, I think the the first thing is like uh making sure you have a, a relationship of trust and so uh, you know really you can give tough love when people know that you have their best interests at heart right um if if that is in question, then people are going to take it as a personal attack, sure. you know? And so I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, again, I come back to that process and that, that culture of experimentation and everyone buying into the idea that um, what we're trying to go for is an outcome mm-hmm. and not to build empires. We're, we're all on the same team. And, and all of that good stuff. And so I think if you can build that, then yeah, people may well react negatively in, in the moment. I know that, you know, I have, when I've had what I thought was a great idea and everyone's like, mm, you know, that every, everyone reacts that way, but then hopefully that, you know, you move past that very quickly and you're like, oh yeah, they were probably right about that, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the, you know, the other thing that I've, I've seen is um, even when confronted with data, that an idea is a bad one, people can always justify their way out of that. Like, oh, that data is skewed for this reason. Or like, that that's not valid for, for this reason. And so, uh, again, um, that comes down to uh, being really rigorous about that process, setting like, lines in the sand in advance and you even if you're even if you're just an individual you can sort of have an internal battle with yourself on this and um you know you can uh double down on an idea that's a bad one because you don't want to fail and so lines in the sand is a really good idea as well where you say like going into this experiment like i'm gonna try this this feature and see whether it improves this metric what is the what is the result that I would want to see for me to consider this an ex, a success and define that up front because then you're kind of dispassionate about it and you can say like yes this this would be a good result you know when when you're you know you you believe right yeah. um, and then uh, if you're confronted with the fact that it didn't hit that threshold. Um, it's hard for you to argue with your prior self, you know, or at least harder, you know, and, um, and, and you can do that with teams as well. Like we all agree that this is the threshold we need to meet for this to be considered a success. It's really smart. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, <clears throat> so you know, one of the things that I try to do with this podcast is, you know, obviously this has been, you know, uh, by my count, 47 minutes of fantastic information. Um, but I also want to just talk to you uh, a little bit personally about like your, your workflow. Yeah. Um, so I am definitely trying to figure this all out myself still as well. Um, there's a couple of things that I, I really like. Um, so one idea is the idea of setting a highlight for each day. And so a highlight is, is something that's kind of like relatively substantial, but not kind of crazy substantial so let's say something that te- would take you like an hour and a half to complete right and so basically what you say at the start of the day is like this is the highlight that i have and it's the most important thing for the day mm-hmm. and it it can absolutely be about work it could also be about like your family or something like that because you know you're a whole person and if you're not taking care of yourself and your family your work's going to suffer so you know it it can be about either but the point is is that that is the thing that come hell or high water you are going to do that day and um, if you if you do that and you then achieve your uh highlight every day you're going to be you know getting a lot of stuff done um 
and and what it does is it guards against you know like the battle to get to inbox zero or like running from meeting to meeting it like allows you to say like okay like my day's way too cluttered you know i'm gonna cut this down and i'm gonna focus on Mm -hmm. this thing or like i'm gonna embrace the fact that my day's cluttered and i'm just gonna make sure i'm gonna nail this one meeting because it's the most important or or whatever so i really like that as an idea um i have a lot of like people coming and asking me for stuff you know whether it's like people coming to me with ideas or issues with the system or like our our developers asking me for guidance about like how they should be building something like i have a bunch of people coming to me constantly throughout the day mm-hmm. so for me personally if, if i know i need to get something done i'll kind of block off my calendar turn off like uh, turn on do not, not disturb on my phone yeah. and my uh, laptop and just have dedicated kind of deep um uh, flow time if if needed uh, so that's another thing that I, I, I work on. Um, kind of at a team level, like I said, we, we use Agile, which is a, a great methodology if you're, if you're looking to kind of make rapid pro, uh, progress and kind of track that. Yeah. Um, uh, Agile is a great methodology to look at in terms of efficiency. It, much like the Lean Startup, it, it was developed in the software realm, but it can be um, it can be applied to a, a number of different things. And the, the general idea is that you're kind of splitting up work into um, shorter chunks. Uh, so we, we do a two-week sprint process, which means we plan kind of two weeks of work in advance because yeah. that's a small enough amount of work that we can kind of feel pretty confident we're going to get it done. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so, so that's like at a kind of a more team level, um, a good um, uh, process uh, to follow. <coughs> oh, also, I, I think I'd be remiss, uh, you know, uh, with my pack health hat on, uh, but sleep, exercise, good nutrition, all help you make you more productive oh, as well. So, <laughs> man, if I I cannot tell you, I, actually, I have told you. I know because because uh, we're friends and we see each other outside of this context. But um, I can attest to that. Yeah, right and, and you don't realize how much that stuff matters until you change. Yeah, and then you're like, oh wow, you know, it's <laughs> massive. Yeah, it's yeah. massive. Well, Dave, man, I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun, um, and this has been seriously like I was watching the clock as this is going on, and it's like this has been like a solid fifty plus minutes of really good information. So I really appreciate you sharing all that and for yeah. uh, coming on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, happy happy to do it. That's it for today's dispatch. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider hopping over to the Apple Podcast Store and leaving us a review. It really does help us get in front of more people. Regardless, thanks so much for your support, and we'll talk to you soon.